So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. I hope you all are having a great week so far. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah. I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are discussing the unsolved disappearance of 21-year-old Jason Landry. Jason went missing on December 13th, 2020 and has not been seen or heard from since. A physical description of Jason for you is that Jason has brown hair and brown eyes, and he stands at about six foot one. He is white with an olive complexion. And with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Jason Landry was born on July 29th, 1999 to his father, Kent Landry, and his mother, Lisa Landry. Kent used to work as an attorney, and after retiring from that, he became a pastor at Southminster Presbyterian Church located in Missouri City, Texas, which is where Jason grew up. After Jason graduated high school, he went on to college at Texas State University, located in San Marcos, Texas. Now, the year of Jason's disappearance was also his first year at San Marcos University, and at the time of his disappearance, he was working towards being accepted into the university's sound recording technology program. Now, Jason grew up in a really, really loving family. He is the youngest of three siblings. He has an older brother as well as an older sister, and from all of the Facebook digging I did, I realized very quickly that Jason was a part of a family that everyone loved. There was so much love there and Jason is so loved. Now you guys know if you've been an avid Killer Instinct listener that talking about the victim's personalities and their characteristics and who they are as people outside of their cases is really important to me. However, because Jason's case is fairly new and it has also not gotten a lot of coverage in the media, we don't have that much more as far as his personality, who he was, his likes, his dislikes, hobbies, things like that. So because of that, we are going to jump right to December 13th, 2020. So this specific day was a Sunday, and it was also the day that Jason was scheduled to drive back from San Marcos to Missouri City, Texas. Now, this drive is roughly about two hours and 38 minutes long, and this is Jason's drive home to spend Christmas break with his family. That was his reasoning for going home at that time. Now, Jason left San Marcos at around 10.55 p.m. on December December 13th and at 12:31 a.m. on December 14th Jason's Nissan car was found crashed on Salt Flat Road 
Salt Flat Road is located in Lulling, Texas, which is about 37 minutes from San Marcos, where Jason was coming from. Salt Flat Road is a back road gravel street that has absolutely no lights, no buildings, no signs, nothing, meaning it would be very, very easy to get lost on, especially at night. Jason's car was discovered from a volunteer fireman who was walking by and saw his abandoned car, and that is when the authorities were called. When Jason's car was discovered, the lights were found on and the keys were still in the ignition. The front passenger side door was also locked in the car, and based on the way that Jason's car was discovered, it had been in a pretty bad wreck. The back windshield had been completely shattered, the back bumper had popped off, and the front driver's side of the car was also crashed as well. When authorities discovered the car and discovered and assessed the crash, marks on it. They said that the way that the car was found looked like it had been in a single car collision, meaning that Jason more than likely did not hit another car. They said that more than likely he had overcorrected his car on the gravel, which caused him to off-road and crash the back of his car into a tree. There wasn't any noticeable paint marks that would indicate a crash involved with another car, but again, the car itself was in pretty bad condition when it was found. I encourage you to look up the pictures, that way you can make your own assumptions. Now, Jason's father, Kent, got a phone call at 2 a.m. on December 14th from the authorities telling him that Jason had been in a single vehicle crash on Salt Flat Road. However, on this call is when they also told Kent that while they were able to discover Jason's car, Jason was nowhere to be found. Kent said, quote, that's the call that every parent fears, end quote. After Kent got the phone call, he got in his car and drove three hours to Lulling and arrived there at about 5 a.m. Now, while police were on the scene prior to Kent arriving, they took this time to search through Jason's car. When they did this, they recovered his backpack, his wallet, the keys that were in the car, a hat of his, his toiletries, and a tumbler of his. Now, here's where I want to mention that there have been some inaccurate reports saying that Jason's backpack was filled with narcotics, but it's important to set the record straight now that that was not the case. While Jason's backpack was not filled with narcotics, it was found that Jason had some marijuana in his backpack. He had multiple joints in there, but it's nothing to the extent that people are saying. According to the sheriff's office press release, they said, quote, any report stating that the backpack was filled with narcotics is inaccurate. The small amount of marijuana has been seized and is being held, end quote. Now, the marijuana found in his backpack consisted of multiple joints, like I said, and Kent has also commented on this, saying, quote, nothing could be more hurtful to Jason or his character. Jason was a typical college student who was coming home to see friends and family, and we are still waiting. I have been given Jason's backpack, and I can tell you what it was filled with, his laptop, his contact lenses, some toiletries, and all of his PlayStation gaming gear. You see, 
Jason had already made plans to meet with some friends and play some online games together over the break. Jason's backpack had those personal items and his PlayStation, controllers, headset, and accessories. End quote. Now, by the time Kent had arrived to the scene, it was roughly 7 a.m. And by that point, authorities had already sent Jason's car back to San Marcos, where it was staying at the towing lot. And so because Kent wanted to see Jason's car for himself, he then went from lulling to the towing lot where his son's car was, and he started looking through the car, and that is when he discovered Jason's cell phone. Jason's cell phone was discovered in between the driver's seat and the center console of the car. Now, having Jason's cell phone is absolutely huge in this case because it gives everyone Jason's digital footprint before he went missing. And it really helped authorities paint out a timeline here. Another direct quote from Kent is, quote, I got there at 5 a.m. and I was the only person looking for him. I got his phone at 7 a.m. driving down a dirt road looking for my son and I could see clothes. And I could realize that they were his clothes because of his socks. He wears funny socks, end quote. Now, what Kent is referring to is that when he arrived on the scene, he started driving up and down the gravel road, trying to see if he could find Jason or anything that would help lead to finding Jason. And when he did this, he discovered a pile of Jason's clothes. The clothes were about 900 feet from the crash scene. They were outside of the car and they included a shirt, shorts, underwear, and a wristwatch. Now, authorities believe that these were the clothes that Jason was wearing prior to the crash. And when the clothes were found, they were found in really great condition. They didn't look like they had been roughed up and they didn't look like they had been removed forcibly. And the reason authorities believe that these were the clothes that Jason was wearing prior to him going missing is because there actually is a picture that Jason took on his cell phone. It's a video. It looks like it's on Snapchat chat or Instagram or something like that. And he is wearing the same t-shirt and hat that were found afterwards. The t-shirt that he was wearing was a burnt red color and said Camp Choye on it with a fire-like design. Now let's talk about the timeline that authorities were able to come up with from Jason's cell phone. So what we know is that at 10.55 p.m., Jason left his apartment in San Marcos, Texas, heading to his parents' home in Missouri City. Then, at 11.05 p.m., Jason then drove his car onto Highway 80 and drove under the I-35 in San Marcos. Two minutes later, at 11.07 p.m., Jason continues to drive south on Highway 80 and enters Caldwell County. Just a couple minutes after that, at 11.11 p.m., Jason is in Martindale, Texas, and continues on Highway 80. Then, at 11.15 p.m., Jason passes over the SH-130 on Highway 80, and at 11.24 p.m., Jason enters Lulling, 
Texas. And it is at this point that Jason actually stops using the Waze app, which if you are unfamiliar, Waze is a navigation app. It's a GPS. And once Jason stopped using Waze, he then opened up Snapchat. At this point, he passes through the intersection of Magnolia Avenue and East Austin Street. And this is the last known digital footprint of Jason. Authorities believe that after this is when he continued on to East Austin to Spruce Street, which turns into Salt Flat Road, where his car was eventually discovered. 11.24 p.m. is when Jason's cell phone made its last digital footprint, and his car was discovered at 12.31 a.m. Now, that is a 67-minute window of time where authorities are now trying to fill in the blank of. Authorities said that during that 67-minute window, Jason's phone was still on and it had a signal. However, it was not used during that time period. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. Now let's talk about why exactly Jason ended up on Salt Flat Road to begin with in Lulling, Texas. Now, I personally tried to do my own research in mapping San Marcos, Texas to Missouri City to see if there were really any reason that Jason would get off and go into Lulling and eventually end up on Salt Flat Road. However, that was never a part of the instructions on how to get there, so it makes me wonder why exactly he would end up there. That was not a normal street for him to end up on, and it was out of the way from his route that he was supposed to be following. Kent said, quote, there's a 67 minute window where we just don't know what happened. Was someone chasing him? Maybe. Did he just wreck and get out to find help? We don't know. Anything is a possibility. I don't know why my son was down this road. My best guess is he was following ways wherever it sent him. He was coming home from college, but he was here on this road. I don't know if he was trying to avoid a deer or what, but he could have swerved and hit some trees on the side of his car." End quote. Now that here is a huge question in this case. What made Jason go off into lulling at all, but also what made him go on to Salt Flat Road. Lulling, Texas is a city in Texas located along the San Marcos River, 
And as of 2019, the population in Lulling, Texas was 5,830. So a fairly small city for sure. Authorities have also said that according to their investigation, there was no evidence that Jason was meeting up with anyone in the Lulling area. They have reviewed countless hours of surveillance footage through Lulling and have come up with nothing, meaning they wanted to see if a certain car was following Jason's car or if Jason was acting bizarre before pulling off to Salt Flat Road. However, they came up with nothing. Authorities also ran a DNA and blood evidence search through Jason's car. However, no blood was discovered inside of the car. Now, as far as footprints and other tire tracks around the area, that was the first thing that I thought of when doing my research. There was nothing on the reports that I read that mentioned any other footprints or tire tracks, which makes me believe that there wasn't any. Authorities have used many different search efforts to try and locate Locate Jason. They've attempted to use helicopters, search dogs, and volunteer parties. However, they have come up with nothing. However, it is important to note that when authorities used the search dogs, the dogs actually led them to a pond not too far away from where Jason's car was discovered. After being led to the pond, authorities decided that the best thing to do after that was to obviously drain the pond and see what the reason was that the dogs led them there. However, when they drained the pond, they were unable to find anything. I do want to mention that there also have been other reports stating that Jason's scent was picked up by the dogs again in an abandoned house that's roughly a quarter mile away from where his car was discovered. However, that scent was then lost by the dogs when they tried to retrace it. Now, there are way more questions than answers in this case. These questions include what caused Jason to crash? That's the first one. Along with that, why did he end up on this road in general? Why were his clothes found away from his car? Why did he leave his phone, his wallet, and other possessions in his car? The leaving the possessions in the car makes me personally believe that Jason did not walk off and try to find his way willingly if he was lost. You would think that if Jason crashed his car and was looking for help or looking for civilization and he was trying to figure out his way, he would bring his phone and his wallet with him. This is a completely pitch black road. You would think he would at least use his cell phone to use the flashlight on it to get his way around. And let's say that Jason was lost and the Waze GPS app either wasn't working or he was just trying to figure out his way. Why wouldn't he just pull over to a gas station or a parking lot? Why go to an abandoned back road that for everything that we know Jason has never been on before at all. Authorities said again that they don't think that Jason was planning on meeting up with anyone in Lulling, so why at all would he decide to stop there in the first place? Now, a theory that I have in this is, you know, even though Jason's bag was not found filled with narcotics, that perception in the media is incredibly, incredibly false. Jason did have multiple joints on him. There were multiple joints found in his backpack. And that makes me wonder if there is a connection between lulling and Jason getting these 
joint. Was this a drug deal gone bad? Did Jason go to lulling to get these joints and he ended up seeing something he wasn't supposed to see, came across the wrong people and ended up paying the consequences for it? However, when I really dig deep into that theory, it doesn't make too much sense to me only because you would think that if this was a deal gone bad, all evidence of it would have been removed, meaning that Jason wouldn't have the joints on him or in his backpack. You would think that whoever was responsible, if this was the case, would take those with them to try and remove any evidence. Now, the removal of his clothing is extremely, extremely bizarre, in my opinion. Why were the clothes that Jason was last seen in before he left for his drive found on the ground 900 feet away from his car? Why did that happen? There really is, in my opinion, not many reasons that I can think of for that. And I would love to hear your guys' opinion on that because I can't think of any reason that that would be the case. And let's say those weren't the clothes that Jason was last seen in. You know, we said that there was video evidence of him wearing the shirt and wearing the hat, but let's say he decided to change before he got in the car and made his drive. Even if that were the case, why on earth still would the clothes be found outside of the car? Makes no sense. Now again, is it possible that Jason did just crash his car? Absolutely. Authorities also think it's possible that the marijuana joints found in Jason's backpack could have potentially been laced with something else that could have caused him to have a weird trip on them and cause him to be disoriented and end up being the reason that he crashed. It's also important to note that Jason had made this drive twice prior to the last time he did it. So even though he had only done it twice, that's really not enough for you to memorize a drive. It's very possible that he could have just taken the wrong turn, gotten lost, ended up on this road, and tried to find his way out of it. Another theory in this case is maybe there was a possibility that Jason's car was being followed by someone who ended up following him on this road. I am going to be putting pictures in my YouTube video of the car crash and what Jason's car looked like when it was discovered. It seems like a very intense crash for a single car collision if he just overturned his car and overcorrected it. Personally, in my opinion, it does. Is it possible that Jason ended up on Salt Flat Road and someone was already there and Jason just came across the wrong person who took advantage of a crime of opportunity? Absolutely. Again, is it possible that someone was following Jason, followed him onto this road and took their opportunity there? Again, yes, that is possible. I am really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this one. This is one that I am going to be following very, very closely. I'm not 100% sure what I believe. I do believe that foul play more than likely was involved. However, I can't strongly say that I'm leaning one way or another on this one, which is why I'm really, really curious to hear your guys' opinion on this case. So you guys can let me know. You can email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. You can also 
also DM me on Instagram at the Killer Instinct podcast page, which is just at Killer Instinct. And you can let me know what you think about this one. And I am very interested to hear what you have to say about it. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah. Again, I am your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.